sustainability is not more expensive. There are cost reductions. It's the smarter, better way to build. We learn when we listen. Welcome to Green Mike, an Edison Energy and Altenex Energy podcast, where we invite you into today's most compelling conversations happening in clean energy and sustainability. Hi, my name's Annabelle Stem, and I'm the host for today. When I'm not having fun interviewing some of my favorite people, I can be found equally enjoying myself as the director of Edison's Sustainability Advisory Practice, where we help organizations to achieve their decarbonization ambitions. So we've got a great conversation for you today, but before we dive in, I think it's always useful to pause and really ground ourselves in why this topic, sustainability, is so important. So the urgency around climate change is greater than it's ever been. Every day we're seeing stories in the media, hottest summer of record in Europe, devastating floods in Pakistan, raging fires and and worrying levels of drought in the USA, which is the country that I call home, despite the accent that you might hear. But it doesn't have to be this way. We still have the time to turn the ship around, but to do so is going to require a level of innovation and speed of transition that we've likely never seen before. According to the IPCC, we must half global emissions by 2030. I'll say that again. We need to half global emissions by 2030. This is a daunting task, especially when, if you like me, think of the 90s as being only yesterday. And I almost had a freak out when I realized that in a few years' time, 1980 is going to have been 50 years ago. So we need to move quickly. Companies have a critical role to play in this shift. And it's not simply because they're significant emitters of greenhouse gas emissions, but also because they're the ones who are going to be driving the new business models, the breakthrough technologies, and the ambition and innovation that's going to be needed to make a sustainable future a reality. So it is truly my pleasure to speak with an organization who is at the early stages of trying to do just that. And so I'd like to welcome to the chat, Jonathan Gibbs. Jonathan is the SVP of Design and Construction for Prime Data Centers, data center developer and operator. So Jonathan, welcome. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, it would be great if you could say a little bit about who you are and and who Prime is. Yeah, sure. So I think you did a great job introducing me, but I am Jonathan Gibbs. I'm an electrical engineer who grew up in California, Southern California, went to school at San Diego State University, got my degree as electrical engineer, and then started my career as a consulting engineer um, and an engineer of record in San Francisco found myself a bit in passionate and in love with sustainability, cut my teeth with a solar company, a company that had um, installed residential and commercial solar. But my true passion was in much larger, more critical builds with semiconductor fabricators and data centers alike. And through the natural progression of you know those two fields, we've been chasing sustainability for quite some time, just because in the pure fiscal sense, um, it really makes a big difference when you are operating in scales of megawatts and eventually what we would see to be terawatts. That's a little bit about me, a bit of a nerd or a geek at heart, if you could say, but I think it's been absolutely interesting to see some of the you know recent developments in the uh, you know, more attention being paid towards sustainability on a global scale. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's really interesting. I love hearing the different pathways of people's backgrounds and sort of where their passion for sustainability lies and how that can be the focus of their role or another role that they're sort of really bringing that sustainability lens into it. So you talked a little bit about Prime there and you're starting to talk about a little bit why this is important to Prime and kind of seeing some of the impacts around megawatts and terawatts. As a relatively young organization, I'd love to hear more about this. I'm interested to hear about how you got started in sustainability. Like, What was the aha moment when you realized the importance of sustainability for Prime? Yeah, sure. So I think at the very beginning, I kind of leaned into it a little bit. So, you know, Prime um, at its core, we're an entrepreneurial driven organization, right? We are dynamically focused on looking forward with regards to where we believe the data center market should go. Uh, not would, but should. In terms of sustainability, and I'll get there in a second, there are a lot of different aspects we feel this market could go and should go. And a lot of that is driven by what we would consider the current more stringent or rigid platform that this, this market has really been developed on. A lot of it is what we consider to be driven by the speed of growth in this industry. And there hasn't been a ton of time for folks to be as dynamic and forward thinking when it comes to probably the most important portion of what we've got going on, which is, you know, a world that is needing some help, right? There's a lot of power that's being consumed in our industry. We need to be cautious, not only in terms of the power or the scope threes, how I've been educated so well by you, Annabelle, but the scope twos and eventually also considering scope ones, which are a bit reverse of, of a lot of how some other companies are thinking about things. But I think it tells you something a little bit about Prime. So not to continue on too much further or down the rabbit hole, as we so commonly say, but our dynamic sense for partnership creativity, not with only investors, but customers as well, there isn't only one way. And we've kind of been following this partnership as a service model and expanding that towards not only doing dynamic leasing structures, but also towards our sustainability goals, sharing those goals as an organization, a really young organization with our customers as well, and helping develop these really unique private, public or public private relationships to help develop a very what we consider to be a different portfolio within a, an ever-growing market. You touched on a few things that I think are so particularly interesting and unique for your industry. I mean, one is the scale, you know, the, the size of the scale and the size of the impact and also the opportunity to, to really reduce and, and make a difference there. The other piece is that's interesting about your setup is the influence that customers have on that because it's the customers within your buildings that are really driving that electricity use. So you heard Jonathan refer there to scope one, scope two, and scope three. This is something that you might hear about us talk a fair bit through through the podcast, or we might do. So just in case, just to explain what that means, this is essentially the accounting framework set out by the Greenhouse Gas Protocol that helps you to categorize your emissions into these different buckets. So scope one and scope two, you can loosely say is kind of within your four walls. So Scope one is gas usage, such as fuel that's in your vehicles or that you're using on site. Scope two is anything energy, electricity, and steam related. And then scope three is 
kind of this almost like this catch-all for everything that's outside of your four walls. So it covers 15 different categories, and that can be anything from the goods that you're purchasing, business, travel, yeah, different categories like that. So what's interesting for Prime Data Center is that so much of its impact is within that scope three area as a result of customers being within their facilities and, and using that energy and not having direct control over it. So that connection between customer and supplier needs to be stronger than ever and can really sort of be driving some of the different initiatives here, present some of the opportunities and, and the challenges too. So it would be great to hear a little bit more about the steps you're taking around this. So you sort of, you've had this aha moment around sustainability, so see the importance of it. How did you then get started? Like what were the first steps to really begin integrating sustainability into your business model? Right before we get into how, I think it's, I would love to lean a little bit more into, into the why. Our CEO, Nicholas's background, he's got a true passion for sustainability, starting a drinking water treatment facility back in 2009, and then seeing a huge opportunity to apply those skills and a lot of other skills driven from that, that side of the business into data centers, starting Data Trust Holdings in 2015, which essentially became prime 2018, hiring folks like myself. I was really fortunate enough to, to install the first solar array on a data center in the US in 2010. Those types of things, I think, and not only just us two, but others who are passionate about sustainability, driving not only just in terms of benchmarking, and I'll get there in a second, this is why I kind of bring this up, but investing in R&D and engineering, and I'll lean into that in a second as well, but so the how, right? It's first and foremost for us, learn, educate ourselves internally, be okay with who we are, which is a younger organization who's passionate about something. But what we know we need to do is two things. One, find a partner who can help us with the educational process um, and then some of the steps that are developed within the plan that I'll, I'll lay out. And two is inundate ourselves within the data center community to help educate others and continue to learn. The first one, in terms of that learning process, we've established a relationship with Edison and um, worked with Annabelle and her team which was fantastic. And then we came up with a plan. Measure and evaluate, which is benchmarking. Standardize using the, the greenhouse protocol, or as Annabelle commonly calls it, the GHGP. Evaluate what our competitors are doing. So establish the goals, set strategy, and implement are the second, third, and fourth of those. And then for us, it's act. Through that benchmarking, through that education exercise, the tech industry is, has been really kind of leading the way in some of this stuff and asking questions of, of their suppliers like prime data centers. So I'd be interested to hear what you learned through that process of assessing the different requests that you're getting from customers and what you see some of the opportunities and also what some of the risks might be if you do or do not respond to them in the, in the way that they're looking for partners. That's a fantastic question. So, and I think that it's been an interesting process because generally as an engineer, you're, you're really expected to have the answer. And I think one thing that's been comforting through this process is understanding that at least what I consider the people that really understand this type of process and how to get from A to B is that they're also willing to learn, right? No one really generally has the answer. We have a common goal, right? 
And so it's been interesting answering these RFPs because I would put kind of folks in two buckets. One, where they are generally actually interested in terms of how you are going to establish goals and set a strategy. And then there's others that just want to jump to a solution and they're not too, I would say, you know, it doesn't feel like they're really fully understanding of what it means to be sustainable and carbon footprint and zero emissions or negative PUE. We really like working more with folks that have really actual understanding of the whole process and plan that comes into play. So, and I think that kind of resonates as well as what Prime is trying to do. We're not just interested in benchmarking, we want to invest. So invest in R&D and engineering, construction materials, providing customers with data to accurately and effectively manage their data center. So these are additional things that we feel actually help move the needle, table stakes. A couple of things that we're doing that, that we think are, are pretty cool. And usually the cool ideas, at least in my mind, because I'm a bit of a realist when it comes to engineering and construction, and I feel like some of the table stakes that make the biggest benefit are some of the easier things that we do from a normal day to day and changing those things to be able to make a pretty large impact. Building shell being one of them. You look at a building shell and you see it and you say, that happens all the time everywhere. There's probably not much to do while our team disagreed. So we came up with a construction design and methodology to help reduce not only carbon footprint, but use a passive heat rejection uh, technology. Do the opposite of typically when you're installing insulation to not install it, use passive heat rejection on a facade with fins to have it operate a bit like a semiconductor chip and a heat sink. And what we've seen is on a 250,000 square foot building is around a 70 to 75 metric ton of CO2 uh, saved annually, which is pretty neat. The only thing we have to do is pay a bit more attention to actually how the facade is designed and how it's constructed. So don't stop there, right? Pay attention to the materials that are going into the facade, the materials that are going into the concrete and the glue and where it's sourced from and all these things that we're getting a ton of help from Edison to actually understand that it's not just one thing. It's everything all together that you have to you have to do to actually make the impact. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, reducing our carbon footprint by 50%, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I mean, I think that speaks exactly to what I was saying before with driving the the innovation, the breakthrough technologies, like not just doing things the same way because it's how it's been done. We really need to think about how to do things differently so that we can continue to grow and we want more data and data centers and power and, and all of these things. So how can we have that growth in a way that's sustainable. So it's really exciting seeing Prime and others sort of have this innovative mindset of really thinking about new solutions. And I think there's one other case that I'd like to bring up that I think you would really find interesting and something that we would love to see our country in the year in the US do a lot more of. And that has to do, I think, a lot of self-discovery and the same things that Prime are doing. I'm sure Edison's doing and and we encourage other companies outside or inside of our market to do as well is to look to see what we think or those are trying to do a better job, right? So we have a project in Denmark 
a country who is committed to have 100% green power by 2028 using wind, solar, biomass, imported hydro. What's really unique about this country is that they have set up an infrastructure to use district heating. And 64% of Danish households have a, some sort of district heating. And what's really neat about that is that that's a byproduct of data centers, right? So if we could capture that data center heat and use it within the district heating plants, there's a significant amount of savings because there's a savings in cost to heat and reheat. The network is already there to get that excess heat from the data centers out to the community. So we're working right now not to receive cold water from that district cooling network, use that cold water in the data center, use server heat, which is a byproduct from this process, capture and return that heated water to the district that creates hot water for the community, which essentially is a negative PUE. And it's neat because these public-private or private-public developments, since a lot of the infrastructure is already there, it's that type of investment that we see to be more prevalent in Europe, but we're starting to see more of those opportunities here in the U.S. with, you know, more of a, a, a best and that the battery technology and microgrids because of, of the way the U.S. has built out the um, electrical infrastructure. And I won't get into that, but it's looking at what the Danish government has done. And this case study for us is really, really unique. It's, it's leading edge, but it's, again, it's that same premise of looking at somewhere or something that's already been done and has developing a relationship and doing something big that can really affect not only that community, but it could have an impact in hitting our goals. Now that's, uh, like you said, neat, neat heat. Neat heat. <laughs> neat heat. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I, I love hearing about these innovations and just thinking about how can we do stuff better I wanted to come back to something that you were talking a little bit about before and some of the the RFPs, the questions that you get. And one of the things that we truly believe in really driving sustainable change is that there needs to be collaboration. And there's often this dynamic between customer and, and supplier that we see around sustainability and your scope one and two, your own emissions is always somebody else's scope three and somebody else's scope one and scope two is your scope three. It's all interconnected. And you sort of touched upon some of the differences that you see there with some of the engagement that you have, where some of it is asking you for, I don't know if I'd say like tick box questions without fully understanding the complexity of what it takes to do some of these things. Whereas some are looking to be more on a partnership and evolution with you of really looking through the solutions I'd love to hear a little bit more if you have any examples that you can share there of, of some of that kind of collaboration that you're that you're seeing or the types of requests or, or questions that are coming through. Yeah, at the minimum, what we see is RFPs that we have to fill out and submit that have a whole section, not just a few boxes or things to fill out on sustainability, but a whole section in sustainability, curious about what our targets are, what our goals are, what are not what we're going to do, but how we're doing it per se. And on the more grand scale, what we have seen, I guess the opposite end of that, if you will, we're engaging in conversations, not by choice, but 
we're engaging conversations with customers to help them understand how we're going to help them reduce their carbon footprint. They want to know how they could be 100% renewable in their electricity procurement. They want to know how we're tackling our scope ones and scope twos because they they see that that is inevitably their scope three. It's really exciting to see Prime take these steps and really start integrating sustainability into how it does business. It would be interesting to hear sort of what challenges you've been finding as you've looked to move more into this space. Are there any bumps or blockages that you've been finding uh, internally or externally? And, and how are you working around these? That's a good question. So there's there's a few things that we've identified. One of them is a distraction. Uh, the supply chain, the post-pandemic supply chain, uh, as we know it, has been a bit of a distraction in terms of us being able to source equipment from an electrical or mechanical standpoint. It's really been grabbing at the equipment that is available because there are constraints in the materials, there's constraints in processors, there's, we're just, you know, and everyone's doing this, it's, it's mostly just trying to get equipment to the sites as fast as you can. And I call it a distraction because we are in our 2024 and 2025, uh, what we call for ready for service or RFS dates, we have the opportunity to pay attention to where that equipment's being sourced from. Uh, but in some of the earlier conversations, you know, we're we're trying to meet um, our customers' needs, and and they're aware of this. You know, this is a conversation we have with them. They're cognizant of it. It's something they want to to know more information about, and it's something that we're continually working on. You know, another blockage that I would say as well is just more knowledge throughout our industry. We've picked up, you know, since March twenty first of this year, SEC right proposed the amendment. And we've seen, you know, more and more companies spend, invest, be aware. And we're starting to see we're involved, which we've been involved before that, which we're really proud of. But now it's some of the suppliers, some of the construct, you know, contractors, you know, their subcontractors. So we can ask and elaborate and I guess collaborate to put this really big accounting program together. But our information is only as good as our vendors, right? That's actually something that you and I talk about quite often is when we're developing our accounting, one of the, I guess, I don't know what you call it, but one of the goals in the greenhouse protocol is completeness, right? And within completeness, it's it's trying to, I, I think, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit more again, but it's trying to do as, as much as you can with the information you have provided or you have to be able to provide. I agree, definitely. I mean, com completeness is an important characteristic when thinking about data, but especially what you're touching upon there is, is a challenge that many organizations are facing when it comes to scope three, where they don't have as much control over some of this information and they're trying to get information from, from their vendors and, and others that will support them in understanding the, the size of the emissions and, and where there are hotspots. And the thing that we always talk about and focus on is that we're not gathering data for data's sake. We need data to inform and to intelligently act. So when thinking about that data, it's always thinking with that decarbonization in mind and what is the level of insight that's that's going to support it. But yeah, it's, it's complex and, and tricky. 
And one of the other things that we see is that it's really an iterative process. Nobody could jump straight into this and expect perfect, expect perfect data. There are going to be gaps. There are going to be assumptions. And it's really about making those first steps, trying to gather that information, understand where it would be valuable to have more clarity to inform that action and be able to build and improve upon that over time. So that can be a little bit uncomfortable, I think, for some people, especially, you know, we often compare it to financial accounting. You have your financial accounts to run run your business, carbon, your greenhouse gas footprint, the, the data there kind of informs your sustainability part of the business. But it's not as black and white as some of these things can be. And yeah, having that level of comfort with the gray area and just having the right level of data to be able to inform those decisions can can be a little bit tricky. I'm curious, what challenges do you find? That's a great question. So around data or sort of in in general? Just in general, between, I guess, the same question back with regards to integrating sustainability into an organization. What Mm. are some of the challenges that you, you see most prevalent? Data is a key one, especially around Scope 3. This is a, a common challenge and, and frustration that we that we hear a lot. And being able to get the right level of, of information to really be able to inform your strategy and support that, that decarbonization. Um, another challenge that we see is just availability and time. Having the right number of dedicated resources towards being able to focus on this and really drive that shift. We really see varying levels of resources at organizations. And for some people, they have extensive teams looking at sustainability that filter into different parts of the organization. For some, it's just a a couple of people within that sustainability team who are really looking for champions and and other functions to help support them. And for others, it's people who are doing a a completely different role and have had sustainability kind of tapped onto their, their role. And this is something that they're having to do in addition to their full-time position. That can make it challenging to be able to give it the focus and the attention, but also the real integration that sustainability needs. And for sustainability to truly succeed, that integration is is key. It needs to be a function of the way the business acts from from the C-suite down, where sustainability is is considered into all of the different decisions that the organization is, is making. And it's really the innovation that I mentioned before as well. You know, it's a big shift. We need to move away from just doing doing less than to really thinking through new ways of doing things better to really create the reduction in emissions that we need to see in, in the time frame that we have. Yeah, you can't talk about it. You, you have to actually try to do. The R&D and engineering, the culture, we talk a lot about culture. Mm-hmm. You and I, right, um, actually having that culture throughout the company and, and just living that that life, actually doing. It's so true. And this is, comes back to the, the thing with data. I feel like in sustainability for really the past two decades, we've just been trying to get better information. And it feels like a tide is shifting right now where it's really about action. We really need to do at this point. We really need to move quickly. So yes, get the data, keep working on it on that information, but it's action that's really key where we're going to see the change that we need to see. All right, so we focused on what's been hard, what's been easy. Has there been anything that has been surprisingly simple and straightforward for you to get going with? So I'll lean on the engineering side of things since it's a, it's, it's a bit more natural for me, but the technology is evolving and 
I think one thing that is great is that, and I, bit there, I, I believe that there's a bit of a, there's been a, a push for a while to have parts and pieces more efficient. And one thing that has been a little easier is taking the parts and pieces and putting them together and realizing and helping others realize that sustainability is, is not more expensive. There actually is not only is it better for the environment and our, our health and our safety, but also there are cost reductions. It's the smarter, better way to build. And it takes more effort, right? It creates an opportunity for us to develop a path for our data centers to be constructed using, like I mentioned, passive heat rejection. We just took the same material that we're using, looked at it in a different lens, and did some math around what our real goal was with the heat rejection within our building. And the next path now is, okay, well, how do we capture that heat, right? What do we do with that heat? There's certain, those types of things which we need to figure out in areas outside of developments like Denmark, where we have a really, you know, clean way um, to utilize some of that heat. But anyways, it's putting the small pieces together to actually make an impact for us on the engineering and design side. That's where we've seen a little bit more of the success. I think also talking with our investors, and I think I'd give kudos to Nicholas to some regard in this, because the folks that we're working with on that side of the business are truly interested in what we're doing and truly interested in investing in solutions that have an actual real impact. And again, not cookie cutter solutions, not buzzwords, not goals that aren't making a ton of sense, but putting plans together, setting ambitious, not targets, but plans to hit meaningful goals. Mm. One thing you, you touched upon there that I think is really interesting is around investors and the increasing attention they're placing on this. And you mentioned the SEC proposed rule amendment that will see companies having to disclose climate-related risks within their public filings, which is an interesting and exciting shift that we might be seeing coming in. And I think the shift is really coming from the fact that there's this general awareness that climate and business imperatives are, are no longer opposing forces. We see them really coming together as, as stakeholders are increasingly aware of both the risks and opportunities that the climate risks can can pose to, to organizations, be it physical from things like extreme weather and storms, reputational, that's a big issue for data centers being big users of energy, and regulatory as well, and an interesting one, sort of what happens is risks that can be categorized into three buckets. So you have things like the physical from extreme weathers and storms, reputational, what are some of the reputational risks from sourcing materials unsustainably? Or regulatory, you know, we just saw California banning the sale of gas cars by 2035. And I think we're going to increasingly see these types of environmental regulations coming in that are going to have a direct hit on organizations. With this shift, climate risk, business risk, I'd love to hear some more from you on what happens if you don't succeed on this? What does Prime see as being some of the biggest risks? But then I'd also love to turn that same question around. It's like, what are the biggest benefits of this if, if you're successful? That's interesting. I don't think I've ever really thought about the biggest risks of us not succeeding. I, I don't think there's an option not to succeed. I think you, we have to make an impact. We don't ever talk about those risks. 
we honestly also don't probably talk enough about what the benefits are if we succeed. It's more of a position in terms of of needing to make this change and a lot of passion behind that that I'm, I'm sure folks listening will would also share as well. But I think one thing that is is really unique is some of the buzz that we've gotten in data centers using a lot of water, sound, those types of things, which these are questions that often get brought up to us and we seek relationships with investors and companies that don't ask those questions. And here's why. Our solution as a standard tackle water usage and sound and other things that what we consider to be obsolete in terms of like, for instance, water usage of cooling data centers and, and there's a whole whole set of engineering and debate that we can get into that because it is the most efficient way to cool something. But at the same sense, it's also takes a lot of water to do this in certain parts of the world where there isn't enough of that source, you're not going to be able to use that. And you shouldn't, in my mind, use that as a source to cool a data center. Now, that gets into should you have different technologies and different geographies based off of what is best for that climate and environment, utilizing free cooling, utilizing water, certain things like that. But Prime as a standard has utilized a low refrigerant-based closed-loop cooling system that uses maglev technology, which is a really high efficient or the highest efficient way right now to do turbo air-cooled chillers compared to some of the other technologies that are out there. But these small details that we feel make sense to continue to drive, again, like put those smaller pieces together to make, uh, you know, a more complete puzzle. Uh, Keep going back to that analogy. And I apologize. But the risks, what we see and is more of dealing with these environmental hazards and more of these hazards and more extreme hazards we see here in the U.S., not only the U.S., but globally, we're worried about not making these changes fast enough. What advice would you give to other organizations who are thinking about taking the the first steps on the decarbonization journey? Yeah, start early. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, even as early as we've started, it doesn't feel early enough. And I think uh, second, though, is work with a group that knows what they're doing. I think the education portion of how much things change on a weekly or possibly even daily basis and having a resource to help you understand those changes and dive through the additional layers above and beyond just what that change is. It's fascinating, Annabelle, to hear you elaborate on. And I consider myself to be a somewhat educated human being, and I think I can connect the dots. And then I hear you take it seven to 10 times deeper and cross-reference between a lot of different types of organizations or uh, certainly different levels. And it's fascinating. I think it's like, again, working with a group that knows what they're doing. And then third, do your own research. When you hear something from others, I like to ask some more additional questions because, for instance, if someone's talking about their scope twos or scope threes, it might be your scope twos or vice versa. So it's, it's interesting to get more of a perspective and, and understand what someone else is saying. And then 
do your own research, like I said, and I think this is advice that I've gotten from you is cross-reference what you hear from others with your own research to find out what the truth actually is. It does feel like we live in a capitalist society, unfortunately, and there's your own truth and research that you have to go out and find. And getting those those resources are important. I think your advice there on getting started sooner rather than later is, is really excellent advice. One of the things that we see is getting started sooner allows you to do it slower. So by getting started, it allows you to take the time and essentially get the best deals, if you'd like, if I can put it that way, as you think about the different actions to take on, on your decarbonization journey. So with some of the benchmarking work that we were doing, was there anything that particularly stood out to you? Any takeaways that you thought would be interesting to share? You know, there's, in terms of our, our competitors, it's, it's interesting to see, I guess, the delta between those who have done and those who have not. There's what I would consider to be an easy opportunity for Prime to set targets and to the bare minimum to at least be on the map. The opportunity we're more interested in, of course, is, again, following the plan that you have helped us identify when it comes to the full scope of what we're doing here is actually act, right? So that's that's what we're trying to focus more on is go above and beyond what would be considered to be some of the key indicators within that benchmarking, but at the same time, be a contributor to those steps of announcing goals and targets and being a contributor in the sense of the stuff. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure, really fascinating sort of hearing your perspective on these things and what brought you here today. So, so thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I would love to come back on and share what we're doing in the near future. Would love for that to happen. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much. Find Green Mike on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts.